Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. It won't be long Your life will pass by as a vapor And you will stand before the judgment seat of God And every secret deed and thought Every wrinkle, every spot will be in view Before the one who knows all things The Lord of Lord and King of Kings You know the one you never knew While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment That's to come He is the shelter From the coming storm All creation shakes At the mention of His name He has power over life and death Every knee will bow and tongue confess Heaven and earth will proclaim That Jesus Christ is Lord To the glory of the Father Will you bow, will you surrender To His majesty He can save you from the might Of all your sin the fight in which he stands in perfect victory while you have breath you have a choice to make in life turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter from the coming storm While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from all your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter From the coming storm He's the only shelter From the coming storm
For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Ephesians 6.12 We contend with fallen spirits of the dark realm for the heavenly thing which they have forever lost, but we are promised if we overcome. Every age has a truth for that time in history. We must open our eyes and our hearts to the truth for today in America before the judgment of God sweep us away in destruction. We are right on the edge of the judgments of God. They have already begun to be poured out if you have eyes to see. These reptilian spirits, these powers of darkness, these principalities, these rulers that rule over the United States of America and over the entire world have their lies to seduce us. But we must identify and recognize what the present truth is. Every age has had its truth. Martin Luther, the Reformers, they had a truth for their day. It was not the final truth. The scripture is the final truth. But different aspects have been brought forward by the Holy Spirit in specific order at specific times. And we must recognize what that specific truth is. I want to share with you a dream. I'm shy of sharing it with you. I have in the past. But I need to share it with you to alert you to why I'm preaching as I am on this radio broadcast. Many of you already recognize that the messages I bring cause discomfort for many. Many people become angry and hostile. That's not my purpose. My purpose is that all of you would be united in love and in righteousness. That you would hear the call of this age for the present truth of this age and that you would promptly bow your head to Jesus and obey what he is asking you to do and to be. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. Let me share this dream quickly with you. I was with a group of Christians, a small group of Christians, and we were making our way out of the city. There were several cars in caravan filled with people. Suddenly we came to a dead end. The road simply dropped down and there was no way we could navigate that by walking or driving. We were at a dead end. We could not leave the city. We were blocked by this precipice that was standing before us. I got out of the car, I walked to the edge of the precipice, and I began to pray and say, Lord, we've gone as far as we can go. Now we wait upon you, for only you can deliver us. We are utterly dependent upon you, Jesus. What would you have me do? I was leading this small group of people as we attempted to leave the city. 
suddenly the whole scene changed. And now we were coming up to a great cathedral. I recognized it immediately from past dreams that this was the cathedral of God. We came to the edge of the parking lot and instead of normal parking spaces, they were lanes of parking. Now I got out of the car, just stopped on the entrance street and I began to walk at the Lord's direction across these parking lanes. The first parking lane had a sign. It said, Romans 1. The second, Romans 2. Romans 3. Romans 4. As I walked across these parking lanes, I finally got at the end of the parking lot. I got to Romans 6. And the Lord said, Now turn toward the cathedral and walk toward it on Romans 6. And so I did. As I walked toward the cathedral on the parking lane, Romans 6, I saw a covering. And as I approached it, it seemed to grow in size. When I arrived at the edge, two ushers from the cathedral removed the covering. And I looked down into this beautiful place, cut stone stairs, broad, leading down into a baptistry, well-lit, beautiful I stood looking down into this beautiful baptistry, wondering, what is this about? And then I looked up, and here the two ushers were bringing to me a beautiful young woman, dressed in gold. As she came to me on the other side of the opening of the baptistry, I motioned for her to come to me, to be baptized. She turned her body and her face away from me. With her hand, she covered her face. No, no. I kept calling her, please come. You must enter into baptism. No. She had no interest in being baptized. And then I awakened. As I have meditated and prayed over this dream, knowing that it was from the Lord, some very specific meanings have emerged. One, I was on the lane of parking called Romans 6. I knew the Lord wanted me to begin preaching Romans the 6th chapter, for that is the present truth of our age that the modern church must come to terms with. I also recognize that this young woman, a beautiful woman, dressed in gold, represented the American church. Rich and increased in goods and in need of nothing and having no interest in entering into that baptismal fount. No interest. In fact, a rejection of, I don't want to be baptized And that goes very much with Romans, the sixth chapter. 
I believe today the modern church in America is the golden maiden, rich, increased in goods, in need of nothing, wanting their Cadillac, their Mercedes, wanting their lifestyle, wanting the friendship and the social advantage of belonging to a mega church where you can go and listen to modern day sermons that will give you strategies for success, but will never address your sin and will never feel the sharp piercing arrows of the Holy Spirit. The justice of God will not be spoken of. Never will you hear a word about the blood and its function in washing away your sin. No, instead you are told a lie that you are on your way to heaven even though you have never died. You've never been born from above. You have a sentimental relationship with Jesus that allows you to feel good about your life and yourself and plan a wonderful future for you and your family. But it is a lie. And the present truth that must come to the American church is that we have become apostate because we have refused the cross of Jesus Christ. We have, as a modern church, said no to real baptism. So let's walk together through a portion of Romans 6, even as we walked yesterday through Colossians, the second chapter. Now, if you have not listened to yesterday's broadcast, I urge you to go back and listen carefully to the entire broadcast It is of utmost importance. It is the present truth. It is the present truth. Not the only truth, but the present truth that will heal the wounds of wickedness in the Christian's heart today. It will heal your wounds by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm going to simply read for you now the lane at the great cathedral called Romans 6. What shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. 
Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you're not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves in righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them to slavery for righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap? What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now let's go back and let's look at this parking lane I walked into called Romans 6, where I am directed by the Holy Spirit to bring some very specific truths to your heart today. And I know that if you will listen and if you will obey, God will revive your soul and come in great power into your life and you will be healed of your sin. In chapter 6, he opens with a question, Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And he answers in the strongest possible way. By no means. Absolutely no. And then he immediately turns in his argument to baptism into Christ Jesus. Now, I suspect that this baptism spoken of here, no, I know that the baptism spoken of here is not the casual baptism of the modern American church. It is rather the baptism of the Holy Spirit bringing us to our death. It says, we were baptized into Christ Jesus. We were baptized into his death. That means your life is over. Your life of selfishness, your life of self-centeredness, your life of leisure, it's over. Your American life ends now when you are baptized into Christ's death. Now, we don't even know how to begin to talk about that today because everyone is so filled with all of the options of today's entertainment, today's work possibilities, the lust for money, the lust for success, the sexual uncleanness, 
there are so many things to take your attention to keep you from ever really considering what it would mean if today, right now, you chose to end your life as a pagan. If you have not entered into this baptism of death, you are a pagan. You may dress up as a Christian, and in my dream this beautiful young woman came dressed in gold, rich and increased in goods, in need of nothing. I've met so many people like this who when they begin to understand what it would mean to die, I'll give you an example. A person said to me, I'm tired of this cold weather. I don't like the snow I'm going to move somewhere where it's warmer. And so he's exploring different areas where he can move with his family, where it's much more pleasant in the weather. But I have to stop and ask a question. Did God tell you to move? Did the Holy Spirit tell you to move? And if so, for what purpose? You see, when we die in Christ Jesus, wherever we are, we stay right there. We don't move. We wait upon the Lord for his direction. It's not up to me to choose where I want to live. I've shared before, if I had the right to choose where I would live, I would live in Wyoming. For many reasons, it's a stunningly beautiful state. Yes, it's cold, but the summers are wonderful. And the recreation possibilities are endless. The hiking, the the horseback riding, the fly fishing. It's an endless paradise of enjoyment. And then, of course, if you're walking this way when the winter wind begins to blow, you go south. And you live for the winter in another place. And then you come back to enjoy your life. I know many people who are doing this. They have never died in Jesus Christ. They don't understand. They call themselves Christians but they make the choices for their life. They decide where they will live. They decide how they will spend their money. They decide what their enjoyments are. And then they grow old and feeble and die. And what did they accomplish for the kingdom of God? Just about nothing. I see this on every hand. I have so many times had an an elder or a deacon in the church say to me, Pastor, I've had a job offer in such and such a place, so we'll be moving there. It's, It's too good an opportunity to pass up. And I've said to them, well, brother, did Jesus tell you to move? Well, no, Pastor, I... I have a responsibility to take care of my family, and we're going to need more money as time goes by. Our our kids are growing up, and I've got to cover the college bill, and I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to do. Do you see? They're not even Christians. They're worldly people. They decide what they will do and where they will go and how they will live, and they take advantage of every wonderful opportunity that they that they can grab but there is no moving power of the holy spirit in their life to direct their steps i've learned one basic principle you keep doing what you're doing and you stay right where you're at and you pray and you wait upon the lord and if you're dead He will guide your steps. He will tell you where to move and when to move, and he will cover the cost. 
Notice. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That new life is a life for Jesus Christ. Not for my family. Not for me. Do I want to live in Washington, D.C.? Are you kidding me? I'm a country boy. I was raised in the country. I have no interest in living in Washington, D.C. Then why am I here? Because in high school, the Lord spoke audibly to me and said, Washington, D.C. is your place of ministry. Now stay there. That was not good news to me. But I submitted It says, if we have been united with him like this in his death, we certainly also will be united with him in his resurrection. Some of you say, oh, you're looking forward to the resurrection morning when when everything will be set right and you'll be on your way to heaven. Not if you haven't died. Now listen. Verse 6. If you don't have it circled and underlined, please do so. This is Romans 6, verse 6. For we know that our old self, that is, the old sinful nature that came through Adam and Eve, that part of us that is so difficult to deal with, always pushing us to grab and growl and go for what we want, the selfishness, the self-centeredness, the stinginess, the old sinful self. Notice, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. Now, the NIV has taken a very liberal and incorrect attitude in the translation of this passage. If you look down below in the NIV, it says, and rendered powerless. That's not the right definition either of this word. Literally, it should be that the body of sin might be annihilated, destroyed, totally destroyed. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. If that old self is still in you, you are still a slave to sin. And I've talked with many of you, and you say, Pastor, I'm just, I'm just struggling. I'm doing the best I can do, but I keep falling back. (coughs) I think I get the victory. And then I fall back into my sexual uncleanness or into my alcoholism or into my anger and rage and bitterness into into sin. Why do you keep falling back? Because the old man is alive and well in your spirit. You have not gotten the victory. The present truth of Romans 6 is that you must die, the church must die. It must go into the grave with Jesus. And we give up our life. Literally, we give up our life. And our life now is going to belong to Jesus Christ and him alone. We no longer pay allegiance 
to any pagan or worldly thing. We no longer go to the world for our entertainment. We no longer go to the world for our compliments and our adulation. We have gone into the grave with Jesus Christ. If we have been united, verse 5, like this in his death, we also certainly will be united with him in his resurrection. That's a present experience. He's not speaking here about sometime in the future. For we know that our old self was crucified, that is, was put to death, removed from us. Some of you want to say, I don't believe that. There's some other passages of scripture that indicate that we're still going to be walking in sin and we're going to need the grace of God to cover our sin. No, the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and wickedness. The grace of God does not cover our sin. The grace of God is what gives us the courage to die to ourselves, to give up our lives. What would it mean for you? What would it mean for you to die? To give up your life, to give up control, to give up control of your money, of your time, of your family. What would it mean for you to give up your life and seek the face of Jesus? Eagerly to seek his face. So, the question, how do you get rid of your sin? Well, now here's where it gets very interesting. I was taught that you get rid of your sin by trying harder. I don't believe that. I later changed and went to a Reformed theology where I was told, you don't need to get rid of your sin. Jesus has covered it. He forgave your past, present, and future sin. Again, That's a lie. So how do I get rid of my sin? There's only one way to get rid of sin. And that is to die. You die to your sin. You die to your old self. And how do you do that? You do that in the prayer closet. You go in before Jesus and you surrender that thing. You confess it. You renounce it. And you ask him now to remove that old man of sin from your heart. You ask him to remove that constant source of temptation to your heart. You ask him to cause you to hate what you have loved. You confess that you love it. But you turn against it. You side with the Lord. You agree with Jesus. Now, stay with me. The old self was crucified with him. There is no way to deal with this without crucifixion. The alcohol has to be crucified. But it's not picking one-on-one. It's taking your very being, your very heart, and saying, I am not going to serve myself any longer. I want this old selfish heart to be totally removed from me. And you stay on your face and you cry out to God until it's done. Now I can tell you, we are all weak and helpless. You will never gain the victory over your sin because as soon as you overcome one sin, sin will pop up in another part of your heart because the outward manifestation is simply the indicator 
that the soul has not been born from above yet. To be saved is a supernatural act of God. It is not simply you choosing and saying, okay, now I'll serve Jesus and he's going to save me. No, he must save you. You're changed. You're transformed. You're a new creature in Christ. Now notice. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives for God. In the same way, count. Count. Inventory yourself dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Now, the devil is going to come at you with every possible temptation from outside of you, but it will not be coming out of your own heart because he will give you a new heart. You go and the confession and the repentance, it's a very serious process. It's not a casual deal. It is the incredible work of the Almighty God who transforms you and changes you into a new person. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God. So it's your choice. You ask Him to take this old sin nature to the cross. You die. And now you're going to rise up in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And you're going in in every place in your life. You're going to offer yourself to God as a person who has been brought from death to life. And you're going to offer the parts of your body, that is your hands, your feet, your eyes, your mouth. You're going to offer every part of your body to Jesus as instruments of innocence, of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Grace is God smiling upon you, moving in you. What then, shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? Absolutely no. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, You wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm going to be very upfront. I have been set free from sin. Does that mean I never make a mistake? No, I make mistakes. But if you go over here to 1 John, First John, the third chapter. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. How do you purify yourself? By dying, by confession, by repentance. And the power of God comes and he heals you. 
Verse 6, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. Nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Well, let's be, let's be plain and let's summarize some of this now, please. There is only one way. There is only one way for you to be made righteous. And that is through dying to yourself. Now let's talk about what that might look like. The place where you like to go is the pornography on the internet. That's over. You might like to go to the movies, to the television, to working just for money, to get ahead in life, to buy that, whatever it is. That's your whole desire. You, you are totally focused on it. All of that is over. You now are going to wait upon the Lord. You are not going to take any action without waiting on Jesus. You are going to keep your eyes upon Jesus. You are going to continue to be focused on him and him alone. Oh, you're going to be called a religious fanatic. It doesn't matter what you're called by the worldly people. I'm still broken hearted over a young man who came to see me, who was an alcoholic and homeless. And he sat in my living room. And I said, today you must make a decision. If you want to be free from this alcohol, Jesus Christ will come and he will take the desire from your heart and you can be free if you will belong to him, if you will serve him, if you will give up your anger and your bitterness, if you will give up everything of your heart to Jesus, and you will focus on reading the scriptures, on prayer, on fasting, and on doing the things that Jesus has asked you to do. You don't belong in a homeless tent in the woods. You have many skills. If you will pray, Jesus will open that job opportunity for you. He will open the way for your escape. Now, I said, today you must make that decision. Now, you can leave here and go to the woods and sleep in your tent. This big hulk of a guy. You can go live in your tent. You can have your alcohol. You can have the devil. And he will quickly take your life and you will die. Because you chose the way of darkness. If you choose the way of light, he will heal you and restore you. He said, I can't make that decision. I said, no, no, no. Not making that decision is making that decision, and you are coming to the end of your life. What do you need? Well, I don't have any money, and I'm I'm hungry. I need some money for food. Not a problem. I gave him $40. Okay. Will you make a decision for Jesus? No, Pastor. I 
like my life. And in great sadness, I took him and dropped him off so he could buy some food. And a short time later, I was called and told that he had passed in the night. And I was asked to do his funeral. Some people got really angry at me at the funeral because I told the story. Now, you're not facing the same death, perhaps, but you will face that same death. And you, too, must make an honest decision. Will you enter into the death of Jesus Christ by dying to yourself and to your way? And will you reach out your lifeless hands to Jesus Christ and confess your sin, all of your sin, and repent of it and turn aside from it? Will you receive the true Christ, not the cultural Christ of our wicked apostate American church? Will you pay the price? Lord, I lift up every person who's listened to this broadcast today. Lord, there are people who've listened to this broadcast who are saying, please pray for me. Lord, I ask for those who are crying out for prayer that you would come in mighty power, that you would rescue them right now, that you would cause them to get on their face before you and weep before you over their wicked hearts, that you would draw their heart to yourself, Jesus, that you would breathe into them, that you would lead them into that crucifixion and into that death that they might walk into your resurrection. Lord, you are the Almighty, and I praise you and worship you. Thank you, Jesus. This death and resurrection, it is the present truth that must come to the American church. Fun and games are over. Jesus is now in the process of separating the sheep and the goats. Which are you? Will you seek the face of Jesus Christ and turn from yourself and be filled by the Holy Spirit? Well, we're out of time. I'd love to hear from you. Pastor Ray Greenley. National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or you can go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and there you will find the address for the house church that we meet in. And you're welcome to come and worship with us on Sunday. We'll pray for you. It's time to get right with Jesus. It's time to die and be resurrected in the power of Christ. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of